farming is something that people need to not approach lightly or thinking about, oh, well, I'm going to plant this on the windowsill. Yes, plant that thing on the windowsill, but then get out in your backyard or if you live on an apartment, the side of the road, it doesn't matter. Just start farming this whole place up as hard as we possibly can because it really is the answer to everything right now. It's uh, the answer to greater health. It's the environmental solution. Yeah, it's, it's what the environment the, needs too. Yeah, it's it's the social interaction. It's the education that we need. It's the physical movement that we need. So 100%, you know, we run down this path and we see how far we can get. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 98 with Andre Miller, Sistema, Farming, and Philosophy. Farming is Andre Miller's way of life, a way that connects him physically to the land that feeds him. He discusses his relationship with athletics and his introduction to Sistema. Andre unpacks how he came to his personal philosophy and how it led him on the path to farming. He shares his thoughts on modern farming and recreating connection with the environment. Andre Miller is a movement-based farmer, personal trainer, and the owner of Roots Movement Farm in Oregon. He has his master's degree in physiology and bachelor's degrees in both kinesiology and philosophy. At Roots Movement Farm, Andre combines his knowledge of movement and philosophy to create a farm where movement and nutritional medicine work together. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 98. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Thank you for getting up a little bit early out there in Oregon. I know you're on the West Coast, West Coast, as they say. Yeah, great to be here with you. So the way I like to start each of these video calls is to simply ask, thinking back uh, on your childhood, what role did movement play as you were growing up? You know, when I was growing up, it was all about sports. My parents plugged me into every sport you could imagine and kept me very busy with that. And then in addition to that, it was working in the garden, you know, it was, it was doing my chores. So when I thought of physicality, I thought of the sports that I played and then also the chores that I had to do. Hmm. Did you, was your mother like a flower gardener or did you have vegetable gardens or like a performing CSA or... Yeah, well, my mom grew up in real far south Louisiana, about as far south as you could get in a place called Thibodeau. And her whole family gardened and farmed, you know, sugar cane and peas and stuff like that. So by the time she moved away uh, from her family to Texas, she exclusively gardened flowers. And to this day, you know, isn't too big on vegetables. It kind of reminds her of a hardworking mm. childhood. So I'm going to guess that you probably wandered away from farming when you first broke out on your own. So how did, and I, what I really want to, talk, I want to talk a lot about farming as like an entire integrated whole before we get that fun stuff. How did you, what was your journey from, you know, so if your mom isn't really doing veggie gardening and you're, you're helping her in her flower gardens, how did your journey, like, what did that look like? How far out into the, I was going to say into the weeds, but it's another plant metaphor. How far out into the non-plant related space did you go before you came back to farming? Yeah, really far out there because 
I ended up kind of with a similar um, chip on my shoulder towards gardening when I was younger, where, you know, this is all physical labor. This is, you know, punishment. This is your chores, you know, dig this hole, move these heavy plants over here. (laughs) I'm laughing. My wife's a gardener. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I got into physical culture, you know, it was all about sports and athleticism and performance and the gym community and that was all 100% aside from a gardening it had nothing to do with it you know the grocery stores where you get your food and then the gyms where you go to work out and the two don't really have anything to get to to do with one another and then even in college you know the classes were split you know this is nutrition and this is almost a separate topic and then this is weightlifting and physiology is you know different classrooms mm. Did you, I, I, I have a bunch of questions and one of them is, I think, I'm guessing, I think you have a different take on Systema than, certainly a different take than the one that I had in my head. And I, I think Systema is seen, I'm going to say almost exclusively as like a, a really, I hate to say brutal, but like a combat system. But your take on Systema, I, I saw you at Lana and I'll let you put your own words in your own mouth, but I saw your take on it via um, some posts on Instagram and some blog posts that you had written about breathing. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. maybe I need to go <laughs> look into Systema more. So I, I want to put a pin in like the journey of coming back to farming because I really think your the the way that you experience Systema, the way you share that and your other parts of movement practice, that's really, those two, those two are going to come together, planting and your martial arts. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on Systema and maybe my twisted view of what Systema really is. Yeah, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate to have come across Systema. You know, such a beautiful martial art. At the time when I was exclusively in the gym community, I'd come across boxing and Muay Thai and and, uh, Jiu-Jitsu. I'd started practicing those uh, martial arts. And those are obviously competitive martial arts, you know, and they're for sport. And so when I found Sistema, you know, Sistema is a, is a much more complete, holistic, real-life martial art. It's not for competition. You know, it's, it's described as a non-competitive martial art. And so it's based on real life and it's based on survival. So in that sense, Sistema is much more brutal and much more practical. And the guys that are very good at it are some of the most efficient, you know, <laughs> militant, efficient, you know, this is not doing what's fair. This is, you know, survival. So, you know, anything that can be picked up in the room, anything that can be used is all fair play because this is just life, you know, which can give it a very brutal tone. But what sits behind that is relaxation and breath work and a deep peace. And if you can find peace in a very extreme circumstances, you'll be able to pick up on opportunities that might be missed otherwise, Mm. you know, such as, you know, how to just leave a situation Yeah. or awareness. Yeah. A more complete awareness. So it is very ironic that as the efficiency increases, so does the, the peacefulness. And uh, that's why I say I'm very fortunate to come across it in my life because I was looking for a martial art that I could practice that meshed with my personal philosophies of uh, nonviolence and de-escalating conflict 
versus only having the option to fight somebody. Mm. Only having the option to, you know, fight force with force rather than, you know, peacefully resolving conflicts or having compassion for the person that's attacking you. And that really took my idea of mastery to the next level. You know, Vladimir Vaslov, you know, the, the teacher at the school in Toronto, would say things like, when somebody attacks me, I'm thinking about how are they going to fall? I'm thinking about their health and their safety. I said, wow, you know, uh, what level of mastery would you have to achieve to be concerned about the other person's well-being when somebody is attacking you? To, to have your safety not even be a concern, but just to make sure that the other person can leave this situation uninjured is really remarkable. So you mentioned your own personal philosophy, and I'm wondering how much of a role Systema played in the development of your personal philosophy versus it like meshing, oh, this is in line with your existing um, philosophy. Because the, the arts that you were describing that you were doing the, in, before that, like boxing and, and uh, Muay Thai, those are very different than what you're describing for Systema. And I'm just wondering, had your philosophy changed before you encountered Systema or was Systema part of that change? Yeah, it was, it was definitely starting to change. And for that reason, I was already starting to leave a lot of competitive martial arts for things like yoga, things like just general movement practicing, that kind of thing that just had like a, a bigger scope and weren't fixated on a particular competition. So my philosophy was already kind of like shaping and moving away from these things. But then I still had the desire to have some kind of martial art mm. in my life. Some martial capability still in there. And then when Michael Gonzalez from San Antonio Sistema like walked into my gym and, you know, one of the first things he said to me is, you know, I always did a little session with any of the trainers or, or instructors that wanted to teach at my gym. I had a little bit of time to work with him and he said, yeah, go ahead and just punch me in my face. And <laughs> and it completely blew my mind. And, you know, I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, go ahead. So I punch him in the face and I felt his face and a feelings worth a million words. And what I felt in his face is, is relaxation. You know, I felt him actually, you know, receiving and articulating my strike in such a way that it did de-escalate conflict. And I said, oh, this is a light bulb going off. And then introducing the principles of breathe, move, relax really filled that gap that I was looking for in my movement um, practice is, you know, how can I actually practice anything physically for longevity? How can it be sustained? And breathe, move, relax was that answer because it's this constant process of um, developing greater efficiency in your movement and then also being able to just let go and embrace all the things that are actually helping you create movement rather than seeing movement as this uh, constant struggle or this constant fight against gravity. Yeah, how, can, how can we use gravity? How can we relax into gravity? How can the fall actually help us climb back up. Back up. 
you know, so it really was this big shift that helped me plug a big hole in my movement philosophy and practice. Did you have, did you have a moment, do you recall that you first felt like philosophy was something like an interesting thread that you actually wanted to pull on? Yeah, you know, I feel like any moment that you feel like philosophy is a thread that you want to pull on is that moment of enlightenment that we all get. You know, that aha moment where the pieces kind of like come together and you get so excited about it that you learn, you know, philos, you learn love. You love you love the sophy. You know, philosophy is love of the wisdom. So you get the wisdom, you get a taste of that enlightenment, and you see how it almost it almost creates this mirage of it being everything, right? Oh, I understand. I I have the enlightenment. You know, my brain has finally connected the neurons, and now everything seems to make sense. And enlightenment is this wonderful like cloud of golden specks that kind of seems to flutter down on you. But the problem with enlightenment is that whenever you have to act, you have to act without it. So it's just this sensation that you get and, you know, you can kind of become addicted to it. You can fall in love with it, the wisdom that you're getting, but there's this other side of it, the physicality, the acting and training yourself to, to learn to act without enlightenment, because that's ultimately what we all have to do. And so it is this kind of like polar interplay between, you know, the understanding and gaining understanding and then manifesting that understanding in our, in our actions. And that's where the farming really steps in. That's what I, I thought. And so I still have a mental pin in that whole arc of farming. So it, at, that, at this point, you're still talking about being in Texas and you know, having this opportunity to see enlightenment. And I, before we go to the farm, I want to ask one more question about, since my education didn't involve any, I mean, I had the closest I got was like classics literature, you know, in college. I'm just wondering your experience of philosophy education in, a, in like a traditional, you know, college context. Do you think that that served you well as a starting point? And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, Many, many people that well, I would say all the people that I know in parkour and Arthur Duplass Mountain Free Running, they didn't they don't have a degree in philosophy. They didn't study that stuff in college. And I'm just wondering, do you think that your formal philosophy experience was like a step, you know, was that in your favor or did that work against you? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, be careful what you know, you know, because once you know it, then you have the responsibility to act on it. So knowledge can be a terrible burden. But no matter how terrifying knowledge can be, it's more terrifying to think of what it would be like to live without it. So so go ahead and learn. Go ahead and get the knowledge, even though once you know it, it might completely ruin your life, (laughs) which is is what it did for me. You know, it's like once I know this, now I can't act against it because that will disrupt my integrity. And learning philosophy, you know, I was bio major when I started out um, in college and I got three years into my bio degree and I was almost done. And then I said, 
I know too much about this without understanding the way that I think about it. And that's going to give me a lot of power without the wisdom to direct it. And that's going to get me into a lot of trouble. So I need to stop. I learned, need to learn how to think about thinking before I start thinking too much. And that starts directing me too much. So I really do believe strongly that a philosophy degree or a background in philosophy should almost be a prerequisite before you do anything because it'll help you do whatever it is you're going to do better. Mm. You know, if, if, if you're a scientist, you'll help understand your science better. If you're a writer, you'll understand your writing better. If you're a farmer, you'll, because it's training yourself to think, you know, it's how to think about your thinking. And so without that, you know, metacognitive process going on, you can really get yourself into some trouble. Um, heading in a direction, you know, too strongly without really understanding what's going on. So philosophy definitely for me helped, you know, form this, this beautiful foundation for helping me understand how to think about things. And then I could go ahead and start uh, attacking specialties. I could start attacking movement. I could start attacking agriculture. I could start attacking physiology. But I first needed to figure out logic, how I was thinking. And I also needed to figure out, you know, what was the basis that other people in history had learned to shape their thinking. You know, I love the term a cognitive system. Do you have a cognitive system that actually encompasses all of your practices? And does it mesh with your integrity? Yeah, do your, do your, does that moral compass match up with how you actually act (laughs) to the two align? So, Did you, I said, did you back into farming or did you go there intentionally? Like in other words, did you find yourself farming and it aligned with your philosophy or did you go, you know what, I need to go do and then head head it for farming as a thing intentionally? It really was a complete surprise for me. Um, You know, I, I was very much into performance athletics and that kind of thing. And when I left the big corporate gym that I was personal training at, I actually started training out of a, a gigantic space that had an indoor football field and was supposed mm. to be, you know, top of the line um, performance athletic uh, training gym, you know, like Monica Brandt was there. And I remember doing squats with John Cena one day and you know, it, was, it, was all, it was all geared towards, you know, like, you know, your supplements and yeah. it, it was, high tech no yeah. windows you know, it was, it was all fluorescent lighting. And then I had this like revolution, you know, this renaissance in thinking because I was harping on people about their nutrition so much. And then I started going to the farmer's market myself and I was telling all my clients to go to the farmer's market. Said, ah, if you really want good produce, you know, you've got to get it direct. Yeah, and local, after closer. harping on people with that for a couple of years, I started realizing I can't just tell people to go to the farmer's market. I have to be the farmer's market. I, when I say, you know, you should be eating these greens, I have to be able to put those greens in that person's hand right then and there if I'm going to help the person. Because a lot of times when you tell somebody to do something, they'll come back and they'll come with the guilt. Ah, I didn't do what you said I was going to do. And so I just cut, I needed to cut through all of that. And so I started to have this like awakening, like, ah, like the farm and the gym, like need to be one and the same, like the nutrition needs to be connected to the movement. You know, people, 
people need to get back to this very, you know, roots oriented model where their physicality was connected with what was sustaining them. Hmm. Do you know where where you got that, that tool of, so (laughs) the, I'm going to say the story that you are telling there exemplifies or, or shows a great deal of self-awareness, um, self-direction. Do you know where you got that from? Like, cause I don't see that in a lot of people. Yeah. I think it, it just comes, it comes naturally because that's how we are. That's what we came from. You know, it's, it's really, really deep in us. And if you just let nature take its direction, if you just go outside on a walk, it'll happen to you. You know, your attention will start going towards the different plants. You'll start asking yourself, ah, could I eat this? And if you're not thinking that, maybe you're not hungry enough. (laughs) Most people are never hungry. I I experiment (laughs) a lot with fasting. So yeah, I know exactly what you are talking about, but I don't think most people really understand. um, Yeah. and, (laughs) and, And, you know, really big thing for me is, you know, quote from King Solomon, you know, excess brings enlightenment. So if you really want to know something, you just go all the way really through that process and and you'll get to know all the ins and outs of it. You know, like a Zen monk, you know, practice a movement, not, it's not 10 sets of 12, it's thousands and thousands. So they just know it in and out. And what happened with me is, is running. So I had a background in running. At the time that I was into performance, I was really getting into ultra running. Mm. So I was trying to figure out how far I could run. You know, what's the human capability uh, <laughs> potential <darn> far. <laughs> for running? And so I would get running so far. And, and when you go that far, you get hungry. <laughs> and when you get hungry, you start looking around. And this was a really big shifting point for me. I would run this trail. And it's in Texas. So what I would end up finding at the end of this trail, miles and miles in, were wild persimmons. And so these little purple fruits. Just reading about those the other day. Whoa, serendipity. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and I'm almost, you know, I've been running all day. I've been running for like 10 hours. And it's hot. You know, it's like 105 degrees in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm dehydrated. My blood sugar's low. And I just see these purple splatters like all over the trail. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? You know, like snozberries, like just all over the ground. And I look up and I, and I see these big purple berries. And I'm like, oh, this has got to be edible. And I just start, I just start snacking on them, you know, and it's the most delicious thing that I've ever had in my whole life. And, and that was the first of many instances in which long training runs started to transform into foraging runs. runs. So because I would cover so much ground, I would figure out where all the plants were. And then I would go and, 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 and again, my movement led me to to eating. It led me to the connection to my environment. That's that's a really, uh, I was going to say, it's a really astute observation because I have heard, people talk about the idea of a food desert. So most of the places that, not, not most people, a lot of the parkour and movement people, they, they tend to be a little more on the edges. But if you're like in New York City, this is a food desert. Unless you happen to find somebody's backyard, you know, peek over a fence and find their backyard garden. It's basically a food desert. There's no food within 20 miles of here. Um, and what you're talking about is inadvertently 
you know, running out of the food desert, running into, you know, the first beginning of the produce aisle and then realizing that there's, oh, there's actually food here. Um, someone else that I interviewed, Jesse Stensland, was talking about doing something very similar. She had visited a place in Mexico and then came back like a year later to live there. And when she was first there, she was completely oblivious to the plants that were around in the neighborhood where she wound up living. So she came back a year later and she's like, you know, there's like five things I can eat on this block. Just walking down the street, there's five things here that are edible. So some now I've heard, usually if I hear the same thread twice and I only interview, you know, hundred people, whatever, it is really got to be base bedrock if that's, you know, if I hear it multiple times, that's something people should really take seriously. Let's, let's keep pulling that thread before we go back to philosophy. If I wanted to, if, if I want to like slap my headphones off my head in the middle of the call and like run out, like how do I get started doing that? Do I, should I just go run in the woods or is there like somebody that I can talk to or a book I can read or someplace I can, you know, like, okay, in zone four, Northeastern United States, what am I likely to encounter? And oh, by the way, don't eat this. It looks edible, but it's not like, how do I get started doing that? Yeah. So I feel like most people would jump and start recommending a bunch of books to you or maybe a couple of like blogs that, that are foraging. But I don't really ascribe to that method as much anymore. I'm really working towards this inherent knowledge system and tapping into the intuitive body that human beings have and the capacity for learning and intuiting their own environment and what they can and cannot eat rather than going in this roundabout way of reflecting on what other people have said about it. And so, yeah, you know, uh, books are great, you know, maybe use it to cross check something that you've had an intuition about. But I think first and foremost, the information that's stored in our nervous system is woken up by oxygenating that nervous system. And the best way to oxygenate that nervous system is to move, is to move and to breathe, move, relax. And one of my favorite phrases that I like to say is oxygen fans the flame of awareness. Mm. So the more that you can move around in an environment, the more that you can interact with an environment, the more that you'll just start to wake up your whole body, your mind. Uh, and maybe even your spirit that will help guide you to the right kinds of plants and get you curious. You know, rather than browbeating yourself with a bunch of books and information that you might not remember, go for a walk and then see what plant really strikes you. And then maybe try to identify that plant. And through this process, you might start identifying a bunch of common, you know, nursery plants that are just common in landscaping. Those are mostly not edible. Oh but then you'll start to then you'll start to run across some of the weeds, you know, the things that we've been pushing out. Yeah. The things yeah. that are actually edible. Unless, unless the dandelion is sprayed with fertilizer from, from the lawn <laughs> company. The dandelions are delicious, right? The leaves, not the, not the flowers. Well, I guess no, people, make, yeah. people make wine from the flowers too. Yeah, you know, there really is a garden of Eden out there if we can open our eyes. And one of the best phrases that I love as well is, you know, the the word saunter hmm. saunter you know to go on a saunter to go on a walk stems from the root word saint and terra so you know saint is for holy and then terra is for land so when the term was coined 
it was used to describe these people who were walking around looking for the Holy Land. Hmm. And I feel like that's what happened to me when I saw all those little persimmons splattered on the ground is here I was running and running. Where am I going? I don't even know. I'm just trying to get a better time. <laughs> and before I know it, I end up at the Holy Land. Yeah. Oh, this place with beautiful berries that are going to give me exactly what it is I need. And it wasn't a particular location. It wasn't that I arrived at the place where all the persimmons were growing. It's that I arrived at the place within my mind, mind. that allowed me to understand that the food was in front of me. Because I'd ran past it a hundred times before. Hmm. And so to answer your question, you know, go for a walk. Take just and if you don't find what you're looking for, just keep walking. You'll I can go tomorrow. <laughs> that's part of the walking is the journey that's um that's what i love about talking to people in conversations i obviously spend a lot of time uh, while i'm talking to people in conversations but i spend a lot of time thinking about conversations and how conversations are a tool and yeah so yet again i'm like delighted by the things that i discover when i talk to people do you want to i'm just trying to be mindful of the time do you want to talk about farming specifically or do you want to talk more because they're like i would say it's we're, we're sauntering down the street and lots of side streets here there's ones for philosophy <laughs> there's ones for i, I i'm a, i don't i never i didn't grow up on a farm i've never done a lot of farming but for a while i was part of a csa and i used to like do farmer carries i'd like walk three miles and pick up my veggies and then walk back home and, and the stuff like that um, and we do grow vegetables in our garden. Um, so we can, I'd love to talk about farming um, or permaculture. Um, so any of these side streets jump out at you is like, yeah, let's go this way. Yeah. And, yeah. And as we're on a gentle saunter, you know, we eventually see a pathway that we probably should just sprint down. At full <laughs> speed. Breakneck, full speed. How far can we go? Yeah. And that's farming right now. You know, farming is something that people need to not approach um, lightly or, you know, thinking about, oh, well, I'm going to plant this on the windowsill. Yes, plant that thing on the windowsill, but then get out in your backyard or if you live on an apartment, the side of the road, it doesn't matter. Just start farming this whole place up as hard as we possibly can because it really is the answer to everything right now. It's uh, the answer to greater health. It's the environmental solution. Yeah, it's, it's what the environment the, needs too. Yeah, it's it's the social interaction. It's the education that we need. It's the physical movement that we need. So 100%, you know, we run down this path and we see how far we can get. And part of that is radically changing the way that we're farming. The way that we are farming was geared towards not farming. So we were trying to develop a farming system to where as few people had to farm as possible. And I feel like where we want to head with that is into a farming system where as many people can farm as possible because it's so good for you done a particular way. And namely this big shift in farming practices has to do more with um, the term agroforestry or, or creating food forests rather than, you know, this whole model of uh, tilling and monocropping. Yeah, I love the way, I don't know if I read it in a blog post or if I 
got it off an Instagram caption, but the way you talk about in, in the farm that you're running, the, uh, the like all the plants are just, it's plants. That one looks nice. This one happens to attract pollinators. This one will be nice in a couple months. We can eat that. Like it's just, these are, it's simply, which it's extremely complex. It's simply an ecosystem and how you had to first begin by rebooting the mycelium network and getting the fungi working again and then going up from there. So I was curious, what do you think is the biggest plot that you could handle like as a single person like you specifically like like, could you handle like an entire acre could you do 10 acres like how like at what point does it become well screw it let's just make it be 100 acres i'm not going to touch it at all i'm just going to wander through it and feed myself which is kind of cheating but like in, in the sense of cultivating um this is a farm and i'm intending to feed people from this space how big could you do you think you could go personally before you were at your max yeah Screw it all. It's the whole world. So, <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. hundred, 110%. It's the whole world. So especially now, human beings need to expand their consciousness and their awareness into the whole world. You know, when we act, we're affecting the whole world. That's what we're learning right now. If, if there's a virus out there, the whole world has it. Yeah. If I do something, the whole world's affected. So when I speak, I need to speak to the whole world. When I act, I need to act for the sake of the whole world. And so it is very true, however crazy it sounds, like I'm farming the whole world right now. Right. And it happens first and foremost within myself. So however good I feel, you know, the change that I wish to see in the world, however I'm trying to change myself, whatever I'm being and becoming, is the start of a very small rippling wave that just starts to open up. And once I get myself into that correct place, once I saunter into the holy land of myself, it then becomes my duty to start rippling that out. And it starts to manifest itself in my body. And if my body becomes healthy, then my immediate surroundings become healthy. I clean my room, I make my bed, I my kitchen is clean or whatever the case may be. And then I start to put some windowsill planters. And then once that gets done, then it's my yard. And then it's my neighbor's yard. And then it's my neighbor's neighbor's yard. And then it just keeps going. And it's only limited by the degree and profoundness which which the change has happened inside of you. And it's really exciting time for me right now because uh, the two acres that I have here on my own farm is getting to a point, of course, it will never be done. But it's really getting to a point where it's extensive, it's producing a a very large amount of food and starting to get a lot of attention. And because of that, I'm starting to get a lot of consulting and and landscaping projects. Mm. You know, I've got quite a few right now going, one of the biggest of which is, you know, a a 16-acre permaculture farm that I'm working on right now. And it's underway, their garden, you know, their quarter acre garden next to their house has already been created and now we're moving out into the rest of the property and so there's really no limit to this you know my garden's getting built i'm building other people's gardens they're getting educated they're starting to start other gardens and it's just this beautiful virus that's starting to you know take over the world that's a terrific vision (laughs) i fully support this plan 
What is there anything uh, you can just continue running down the garden path? Or is there anything that you were thinking on your way to the interview that you're like, oh, I wanted to ask, or I want to make sure we get to any other topic before we were like about 35 minutes in, so I got like 10 minutes to go. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch on, or we can just keep talking about farming? Yeah, you know, I was starting to, you know, talk about the the way that we want to approach farming. And one of the best pieces of advice that I love to give people right now is to follow nature's lead and to look at the model of the forest because nothing grows vegetation quite like the forest. You know, even our best synthetic fertilizers and our best technologies uh, have not. Not as good as an ecosystem, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it hasn't beat the Amazon as far as carbon sequestration and uh, nitrogen growth has has been going on so what this really has to do with is it's an inclusive versus exclusive agricultural model so we were taught to think oh well you got to pull the weeds and you got to get those out and then you got to keep the birds from eating everything and then you got to get rid of the rats and then you just keep these good things these you know 100 corn plants or whatever and don't let anything take one of those the forest is not like that. It's bigger than that. The thinking is more magnanimous. So it always says, ah, more, more is more. Just more keep at more. it. Yeah. Feed the rabbits and then the rabbits and the feed the foxes and right. Yeah. And, and all of that means more poop ultimately. <laughs> and, and, you know, poop is what farming is all about. So if I've got slugs, if I've got roly polies, if I've got worms, if I've got birds, I want all of them. Uh, and what this becomes about is, you know, the story of life. How do we cultivate more life? More life is more life. Mm. And that's how the forest works. There's nothing so full of life compared to the forest. So when you're farming and when you're gardening, don't waste your time saying, I don't need these things. These things are not good. It's all good. It's all nature. Just think about the nudges that it needs to be directed in or the way that you can maybe expedite the system and work with the system to get to the next step you know if it is a slug problem you know instead of wasting your time trying to pour salt on each one of those slugs to get rid of those slugs how about you just you know plant more that way the slugs eat it you get the slug poop for fertilizer and everybody gets to eat you know, and it takes the same amount of time, the same amount of resources to fight something down than what it does to just use it, use its energy, use its life force. And this brings us back around to Sistema. You know, it takes more effort from my part to, to push against your punch than to just take your punch, turn with it, and then give it back to you. And so if we can do that with our agricultural system as well, you know, when, when things come our way, we just find a way to turn it on its head and turn it back into uh, what it is we're trying to produce. This is a much better way of, of thinking and we can stop fighting ourselves and we can stop fighting everything that is outside of us as well. Cause I think I speak for everybody when I say, you know, hey, aren't we, aren't we tired of fighting? You know, yeah. you know, wh- where, when's the peace coming? Yeah. So I, I'm wondering about like, uh, we were talking a little bit there about like scale, like ripples and letting this ripple out. 
But in some way, I feel as if we, like as a, as a human race, we may have backed ourselves into a corner with, I'm assuming you, like you, you've been to big cities, right? like San Antonio is not a tiny town. And we have got it in our heads that it's necessary to aggregate ourselves and like New York City or Tokyo are perfect examples. There is no ripple that you're going to drop anywhere in New Jersey that's going to make it into Manhattan. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on, have you seen people who have been fully enmeshed in that I want to say like ant hill humanity kind of thing. And it has its, it, there's a reason why it's like that. But have you seen people who have woken up from that or how have some, and I don't mean like, how do we, you know, wake all the people who aren't awake, but I mean, what did you, have you seen that has been successful? So somebody who was really into the urban rat race kind of thing, who then saw something and then how did they manage to change? Like, have you seen them able to, oh, well, okay, now they have two homes and they, they split their time because they realize they need to have something to balance that they need to go at the end of the city. Have you seen anybody like successfully make that shift? And what um, did you see that they did that worked? Yeah, and, and I have. And the way that I've seen that happen is the reason that I'm doing things the way that I'm doing them. And what I'm referring to is it, is it happens on the person-to-person basis. You know, it, it, this ripple, you know, even if it's a gigantic tidal wave, it only washes one person away at a time. Mm. You know, it, it happens in sequence. And if you want to impact something, you know, we're people. So we work on a personal level. And this is where I'm grateful that I've had, you know, personal trainings because I can put out something mass media, but it doesn't have the same effect as if I can take one person and if I can walk them around my garden, me and them, you know, alone, I can have a much deeper impact. And I've noticed the person who comes from the city who is caught up in the rat race. You know, I can think of like several one of which I've had, you know, great pleasure dealing with a, a lawyer from California. And, you know, he's just shifting the way that he's thinking. You know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm all for starting a new life at 60. You know, the best is yet to come God. past 50, right? And I spend time personally with this guy. You know, it's just me and him one-on-one walking around the garden talking about things. And, you know, people are personal. And so that's the way to enact change. And um, it happens because one person talks to one person, that person talks to one more. And it seems, you know, petty, but same thing in the garden. You can really only pull one weed at a time. Mm -hmm. And if you get a tractor to just destroy (laughs) the whole thing, you're not paying the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're not paying attention (laughs) and learning what's going on. But as humans right now, we do have this big hole to dig ourselves out of, you know, you're right. Like we are kind of like backed into this corner and a lot of people are not conditioned to do farm work. A lot of people do not have the education to do farm work and farmers are, are educating right now. They're helping people turn, turn this tide and, you know, interns one at a time. Yeah. There's like a deep human knowledge that they have that maybe was, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, and that, that like got devalued for decades. We've been sort of pushing that out, and there's like a million things we can talk about. Yeah, and, and 
And not only have they have they lost that knowledge of plants that you know maybe even just you know 20 years ago used to be a little bit more common, but also like our physicality. Yeah. You know, our physicality to sweat when it's hot or to create body heat when it's cold and be outside. And then even, you know, like our fingers and our hands, our skin has become like, you know, sensitized to thorns and these kinds of things that we just can't interact. Yeah. And, and, and no, so, no interaction with the ground, like physically ground, everybody have, you know, like I don't have shoes on at the moment I'm indoors, but when I'm outdoors, I often have no shoes on. Like, but just that whole idea of we've layered on so many things to, which have served to separate us from nature, from, in, from the environment. So yeah, it's, I think it's certainly not true that everybody in Manhattan needs to like rage quit Manhattan and run into the woods. That would also be a disaster. But yeah, there's definitely an aspect to, I, I love the way you put it about like, start something on the windowsill, then start something in your yard. And then, okay, if you're living in a, in a high rise building, there should be a, like there's green space that they, you know, have to balance those things, do something there. Yeah, and it, it's it's part of a process that people have to undergo, and that's actually what the training methods that I've devised are geared towards. Is mm. how, you know, how can I re-equip the modern human population to get back to their environment? You know, how can I get them back to that rooted state where you were able to feed yourself and you understood your environment and you could interact with it? Because if we go at this blindly. We're going to destroy our little tender bodies, mm-hmm. but if we go at it, <laughs> if we go at it intelligently, we can become robust. We can become anti-fragile. Yeah, we can return thrive. to being robust. Return to being anti-fragile. Human beings are robust. Yes, totally. So as, this is going to sound nuts, but that's forty-five minutes. Believe it or not. Andre, it was a delight. I'm, I'm, I'm a spoiled child. I get to have conversations like this all the time with people, it, but it never ceases to amaze me how fun it is to like discover things we talked a little bit before and after. And I'm certain that our paths will cross again. And uh, it was a delight to get a chance to talk to you. Thank you again for your time. Thank you very much. An honor to be on here and uh, fantastic spending time with you.